But I hope that we continue to pray for church every chance we get. But we all have folks in our life, friends, family, that have had difficult situations. Maybe some that lived a difficult life and have gone on to be with the Lord and just thinking about the fact that they're now whole and that they don't suffer anymore and that God wipes away all those tears. Heaven just seems a little sweeter every day to me. And I look forward, not, not necessarily look forward to death, but I look forward to eternity. And I hope you do too. Uh, this morning, if you would, I invite you to turn to the book of First Samuel as we continue in our series there. As always, God just has an amazing way of knitting things together. The Sunday school lesson uh, opened up at least with some things that I felt like really go well with the message today. And so this is a bit of a difficult message. And, and to be honest with you, when I was praying at the beginning of the year about where God wanted me to go as far as series, uh, perhaps series that I was going to preach through in, in the life of David was one that I felt confident that he wanted me to go through. But I've really had a difficult time with this series when it comes to putting these messages together because a lot of the things in the New Testament are more um, systematic, if you will, which is kind of how my brain is wired anyway. And so for me, going through a book like Romans or any of the epistles is easier, I guess, for lack of a better term, because I can, I can see the breakdown of things. But when you go to the Old Testament and you read a lot of stories, it's sometimes a little more difficult to contextually draw out the point of the story to make application to us without reading into the text what we wanted to say rather than letting it speak for itself. And so I have struggled a bit with these messages, but I believe it's been helpful to me to help me to study deeper and to rely on God more, and so I am thankful for that. So I want to preach to you a message this morning uh, titled, How the Mighty Have Fallen. How the Mighty Have Fallen from 1 Samuel 28, and I'm going to ask if you would one last time to stand with me. We're just going to read two verses. We're going to look at the chapter, but I just want to hone in on two verses this morning to read for sake of time, and then we'll get into the message. 1 Samuel 28, verses 15 and 16. Now Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Listen to this. Saul answered, I'm deeply distressed, for the Philistines make war against me, and God has departed from me and does not answer me anymore, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore, I have called you that you may reveal to me what I should do. Then Samuel said, So why do you ask me, seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy? Lord, today I pray that you will help me to deliver this message in a way that honors your word and glorifies you. Lord, I pray that you will open hearts, that you will convict us where it's needed, encourage us where it's needed, and most of all, help us to set our eyes and our hearts towards you, Lord, to see that the days are growing short, that the time is now at hand for us to be bold, courageous, loving, and truthful in the way that we speak and live our lives each day. Lord, help us to glorify you and to share the good news with everyone we come in contact with today and in the days ahead, Lord. We give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. A lot of you, I'm sure, know the name Elizabeth Elliot. Uh, her husband, Jim Elliot, was the one of the missionaries of the movie End of the Spear, if you've ever seen that, where they went uh, to minister to this tribe and they ended up being killed there. Great movie, great testimony, uh, great faithfulness from two wonderful people of God. But she tells a story about her brother by the name of Thomas Edward. 
said that their mother let them play uh, with paper bags. Kids today, imagine that. These kids are playing with paper bags. She'd saved, uh, if he would put them away afterwards, that was the only stipulation. You could play with them, but he needed to put them away afterwards. One day she walked into the kitchen to find them strewn all over the floor, and Tom was out at the piano with his father singing hymns. When confronted, the little boy protested, But Mom, I want to sing. And his father said, It's no good singing God's praise if you're disobedient. I thought a lot about, I know this series is about David, but this text this, this Sunday is looking more at Saul. David's not mentioned a whole lot in this chapter. But what a sad thing it is to look at the life of Saul and see where he started and to see where he ended and to look at his life in between how he got to the place that the mighty have fallen. You know, Saul was the king of Israel because Israel wasn't satisfied with God. That's ultimately the reason that he even got in that position. And isn't it sad that they had the best but they didn't realize they had the best. And anytime you ask for something other than the best, you're going to come up with something that's not quite as good. And that's the case. But I don't fault Saul completely in all of this, at least not at first. They looked around and said, everybody else has a king. We want a king. And so God gives them Saul. And if you remember, when we started this series, we looked at his life a little bit. And God anointed this man. He set him apart. Saul was just on the outside. He had all the qualities that would have made people look at him and say, that guy's got it going on. He's got it together. He looks the part. And God touched him and even said that he gave him a new heart. So God's hand is upon this man. Israel is behind him. What a great situation for him to be put in. But here's the thing as we look through his life, just to kind of give you a recap of things. He's on the throne for about two years. And that takes us to chapter 13. You don't have to go to these chapters, but I just want to refresh your mind if you weren't with us. We come to chapter 13. There's a situation going on, and Saul is to wait on Samuel to offer a sacrifice. Samuel is a priest. And so he alone has the responsibility and the commandments of God to do this, to offer the sacrifices. Seven days go by, Saul grows impatient, and he decides that he is going to take matters into his own hands and that he is going to offer the sacrifice himself because Samuel doesn't come. You see the verse there. So Saul says, bring a burnt offering and a peace offering here to me, and he offers the burnt offering. Saul can't wait, so he takes matters into his own hands. And as a result of this act of disobedience and rebellion, God says that the kingdom is going to be removed from him. Two years into this thing, and he's already acting in a, in a way of disobedience to where God is saying the kingdom is going to be taken away from you. A couple of chapters later, in chapter 15, God gives a command to Saul and his armies. He says, there's a group of people called the Amalekites. And I want you to go into their land and I want you to destroy everything. Men, women, boys and girls, animals, leave nothing. God makes it very clear what He expects for Saul to do. And for sake of time, I won't take you through the whole story. 
But he goes down there, and he, again, he knows what God wants, and he says, I think that my way, what I'm thinking, is going to be a little bit better. How often do we do that? We know what God wants us to do, but we think my way might work just a little bit better. And so he decides to keep the king alive, and he decides to keep some of the animals alive to offer as a sacrifice. And so here comes Samuel, and Saul says to him, in a nutshell, praise God, I've, everything is done, taken care of. And Samuel looks at him and he says, if that's the case, why do I hear these sheep in the background making noise? And why is this king still alive? And again, Samuel has to go and do the work that Saul was called to do. And God once again affirms that the kingdom is going to be taken away from Saul and given to someone else. I thought a lot about that this week. Because sadly, in my years of ministry, I have seen so many people that start out well, but they don't even finish at all. They were following God. They were faithful. I've talked to a few guys over the years and when you talk to them and they, and they find out that I'm a pastor, they say, oh yeah, I used to preach too. Where are you now? What are you doing now? You know, I've never read a verse that says there's a retirement plan. When God calls you, He calls you for life. And yet, they started well, but the world got a hold of them and has pulled them away. And I think a lot of the times it's simply because we, it's not that we don't know God's will. It's that we choose to go another direction. And that's what Saul does. He goes his own way. Two years into this thing, he's doing it his way. Now here's the interesting thing. He reigns a total of 42 years. In the second year, God tells him that he is not going to be king any longer. A lot of water goes under the bridge before that comes to fruition. David is chosen in chapter 16 and anointed, but 15 years will pass before David is seen and realized as the king. Because oftentimes, God makes promises and God also offers judgments, but they don't come immediately, but they will come. They're guaranteed to come. I think it was Melissa that spoke this morning in Sunday school and said when God makes a promise, it's guaranteed. And that's exactly right. One quote I've heard before says, uh, sin wouldn't look so attractive if its wages were paid immediately. We often feel like because judgment doesn't come in the moment, that maybe we got away with it. Maybe God doesn't care. Or maybe sometimes we get discouraged because we say, well, God, I'm hanging on to this promise. I'm holding on to this promise. I hear a lot of people say, train up a child in a way, she, way they should go when they're old. They won't depart from it. And they have wayward children. And they think, God, why? I did what I was supposed to do. Why haven't you answered this promise? Hold on. Hold on. He's made a promise. He didn't put an asterisk by it and tell, say it was going to be in your time. Hold on to those promises. He wants faith to be found in you. He wants you to trust Him in these things. And so I want us to look at the life of Saul, and I want us to see a couple of things. I'm just going to jump down and get into the text this morning for sake of time. And I want to try to break this down into a couple sections and just give you some thoughts. If you're taking notes, write this down, number one. There's a distressing situation. There is a distressing situation going on. Look at verses 3 through 7. 
Samuel has died. Remember, we heard that same wording last week when we looked at the life of David in this situation. And all Israel has lamented for him, and they buried him in Ramah in his own city, and Saul had put the mediums... Now notice this in verse 3. This is going to come back in a moment. Saul had put the mediums and the spiritists out of the land. So Saul had made a decree in Israel that if you are practicing these things, if you are speaking to the dead, if you are conjuring up these spirits that you are no longer in business. So this is basically the government shutting things down. Sound familiar? And so he comes along and says, you're out of business. Saul did this. Verse 4, The Philistines gathered together and came and encamped at Shunem. So Saul gathered all Israel together and they encamped at Gilboa. But when Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. That literally means it shook inside of him. He is scared to death. Verse 6. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by the Urim or by the prophets. He has been so focused on catching David and killing David that he hasn't thought about anything else. And meanwhile, while he is running around chasing God's chosen man, the enemies of God are getting ready for war. Have you ever noticed that the enemy is always ready at any time to attack? And many times we're not ready when he gathers outside our door. The Bible tells us to put on the whole armor of God and be ready, be prepared, be equipped And yet, how many times are we caught off guard when the enemy comes? Guys, this is no time to play games. We need to be prepared and equipped every day in the Word, in prayer, strengthened by the body of Christ. We need those things. We need each other now more than ever. And the enemy is here and Saul is petrified because he hasn't thought about this. He doesn't have a game plan. And they're outside of the city. And he's shaking in his shoes. And so his first response, like many of us, is, oh, I should probably ask God what to do. Why is it that we usually forget about God until we really need Him? And then we run and say, God, it's me. You hear me? I think that we often presume that no matter how we live, God will always continue to bless us and answer us when we call. But that's a dangerous game to play. It's a dangerous place to be when you live outside of the will of God in blatant, unrepentant rebellion and sin towards Him and then think that when you show up, He's just going to forget all of that and focus on your need in the moment. He's more concerned with your holiness than He is with simply giving you a hand up and a help when you think you need it. And Saul has lived in such a way, again, over and over we've saw, He's chasing David, trying to kill this chosen man of God. He offered sacrifices when he wasn't supposed to. He disobeyed and didn't take care of the Amalekites when he was supposed to. And God finally says, enough. And the way he says it is, by not saying anything at all. One of the worst things in the world is when God is silent. When you need his face, when you need his help, and God is silent. And that's where Saul finds himself. It says in verse 6, that he didn't answer by dreams. Now remember, we're in the Old Testament, so God would speak oftentimes through dreams. 
He said he tried to consult the Urim. So in the Old Testament, the priest had two stones called the Urim and the Thummim in their breastplate, and they would often use those to try to determine the wisdom of God, to try to get an answer on direction, which way to go. He went that route. It didn't work. He went to the prophets. God wasn't speaking through the prophets. God was silent. And I think that compiled his stress and his distress. There's an enemy outside. God is the only hope. And God is not answering him. So there's a distressing situation. And then we come to the next big mistake in Saul's life, number two. There's a deceptive solution. Notice what he does in the next few verses here, verses 8 through 11. Saul disguises himself. There's a lot of people when they get outside of the will of God, they try to disguise themselves to be something that they're not. The worst thing you can do is be outside of the will of God and pretend that you're not. You're never going to be able to put on an outfit that looks right if your heart's not right. You have got to get right on the inside. Over and over, confession is repent and repentance is the answer. Not trying to clean yourself up through religious activities. He goes and disguises himself, puts on other clothes, and he went with two men with him, and they came to the woman by night. Sneaking around in the darkness. The darkness. Men love darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. He's sneaking around in the dark, disguising himself. And it says, They came to this woman by night, and he said, Please conduct a seance for me, and bring up for me the one I shall name to you. Now, this is where it gets almost comical. Number one, remember in verse 3 who it was that threw all of the mediums out of the land to begin with? Saul. And now he's going to dress up in some strange garments and go at night to find a witch. That's basically what we're seeing here. She practices necromancy. She speaks to the dead. That's what's going on. He says, I can't hear from God, so maybe the devil will talk to me. I mean, basically that's what he's doing. He's going the other way. He's not trying to conjure up the devil, but he's using evil demonic practices to get an answer. He goes to this woman, please conduct a seance for me and bring up for me the one I shall name you. Then the woman said to him, look, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die? It's pretty bad when the world is rebuking someone that's supposed to be the man of God. The world looks at us sometimes and they have a problem with the way we live even though sometimes when we get in the flesh we do the same things the world does and they don't have a problem when they do it but they have a problem when we do it because we said we don't do it. But here we are doing it. And it's pretty bad when the world can rebuke you and the Holy Spirit can't get your attention. Don't get in that place. Don't get in the place where the world is looking at you and saying, Weren't you at Frisch's last Sunday and you left one of those tracks on the table and I thought it said K. Russo Baptist Church? Wasn't that you? And now I see you here at this place doing this stuff? And you're saying, no, that wasn't me. That must have been somebody else. You're confused. Right? Because we have to lie our way. We have to wiggle our way out of the situation then. Don't get in the situation to begin with. He goes to this woman and he asks her and she rebukes him. And he goes on in verse 10, And Saul swore to her by the Lord. Here we go. Look at this. If you just stop for a minute and think about how illogical this is. 
Saul got rid of these people to begin with. Now he goes and finds one. She has more sense, more godliness in her answer than he does. And then look what he responds by saying. Saul swore to her by who? The Lord. He's not serving God. He has no interest in serving God at this point in his life. But now that this woman is afraid for her life and he wants an answer from her, so he's going to try to use the Lord as wiggle room to reassure her that everything's going to be okay. Don't use God as a crutch just when you need Him for something. That's a dangerous place to get to when you only care about God when you need something. He says, As the Lord lives in the name of Jehovah, that's basically what he's saying. I promise you, I'm swearing on God's name, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. And the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, Bring up Samuel for me. You can't get an answer from God. God is silent because Saul has been disobedient. God's judgment is finally coming home to roost in his life. And he still thinks he can find a way around it. Rather than falling on his face before God and crying out for mercy, he goes to a spiritist, a witch, the witch of Endor, and he wants an answer. And he says, well, I can't hear from God. Maybe this lady can call up Samuel, and Samuel can get an answer for me. So we see a distressing situation, a deceptive solution. Number three, there is a divine sentence that comes. Look what happens next. Verses 12 through 16, when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman spoke to Saul saying, why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. All of a sudden, her eyes are opened. And she sees through the act. He's caught. He's found out. The Bible says, be sure of this, your sin will find you out. You can hide it and cover it up and try to manipulate it. But sooner or later, the truth will come out. And you will be exposed for who you are. Far better to fall on your face today and cry out for mercy than to wait until God's judgment brings you to a place where you have no choice. The Bible says that one of these days, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You can do that today or you can do that when you stand before Him. But it will be too late if you wait. Saul is found out in verse 12. It says in verse 13, The king said to her, Do not be afraid. What did you see? Again, he's just trying to butter things over. He's, he just wants to know what's going on. He just wants an answer. Don't be afraid. What did you see? And the woman said to Saul, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. So he said to her, What is his form? And she said, An old man is coming, and he is covered with a mantle. Look at what it says at the end of this verse. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel, and he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. Something interesting as I've went through this study and as I've read. Unless I missed it, this is the only time I can find where Saul falls on his face and bows down before anything or anyone. All the times that God had taken care of him, spared his life when David could have killed him, anointed him as a king at the beginning, blessed him, watched over him. Not once does the Bible say that he ever fell down and worshipped God. But here he is in front of Samuel. After doing all the wrong things and disobeying God, he falls down on his face for the first time. Not in gratitude towards God, not in repentance towards God, 
but towards another man, towards Samuel himself. And then we come to the verses that I read to you this morning. Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am deeply distressed, for the Philistines make war against me, and God has departed from me and does not answer me anymore, neither by the prophets or by dreams. Therefore I have called you that you may reveal to me what I should do. And Samuel said, Why do you ask me, seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy? Friends, there's much debate on whether Saul was truly saved or not. Is he in heaven today? Is he in hell? There's not a clear, concise answer. But what is evident is, and I believe the Bible is showing, that God had taken His hand off of Saul. That we can be sure. That He was no longer the anointed one, the chosen one. That God had in fact turned His back on Saul and left him to his own devices. Now we talk a lot about, as believers, and I rejoice in the fact that there is grace for the greatest of sins. And where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. I'm thankful today that we possess a salvation that was bought and purchased by Jesus Christ and there is nothing we can do to lose it. But I do believe with all my heart, and I believe I have the Scripture to back it up, that while we may not lose our salvation, we can certainly get ourselves in a place in our lives through sin and disobedience where God no longer speaks and uses us the way that He once did. I've seen countless people throw away their testimony, throw away their walk, Throw away the anointing, if you will, on their life because of disobedience and rebellion. I'm not saying that you lost your salvation, but I'm saying it's a dangerous game to play to think that a believer in Christ can continue to live in open rebellion and think that God will not chastise those whom He loves. He's going to chastise His children. He is going to get your attention one way or another. And I believe far too often we presume on the grace of God to think that just because He is loving and patient and long-suffering with us, and just because those judgments don't come immediately, that God must be okay with the way we're living our lives. And I think that I would be remiss on a morning where we're getting ready to take the Lord's Supper, and certainly none of us are ever worthy of it. So if you're sitting here today saying, well, I'm not going to take it today because I'm not worthy, you'll never do anything for God if you're waiting to be worthy. He came for the unworthy. He came for the ones that were not at all worth anything other than destruction and judgment, and He came for us. So it is His goodness and His righteousness that makes us worthy at all to be found used and saved in the sight of God. But we are called to holiness, and far too many churches and far too many preachers won't talk about this anymore because they just want to talk about the positive sides of things. But we are called to live holy lives, and it's easy to cast stones at a lost world because sinners will sin but saints will sin too and too often we're willing to excuse the sins of the saints and condemn the sins of the sinners when we need grace for both we need God's mercy for both and if you are a child of God today and you're living outside of his will you are in a place where you will never have peace you will never have his power and you will never have his provision until you get to the place where you need to be and that is on your face before him He fell before Samuel when he should have fell before God and cried out for mercy. This once great man who had all the opportunities in the world before him had now sinned away the opportunities. You say, well, Pastor, how do you know when you cross that line? I don't believe that you'll know when you cross that line, but I believe there is a line. And I don't want to even get close to it. Don't try to see how close you can get to the line. Everybody always says, well, Pastor, if you don't think that drinking is a sin... 
can I, is two beers a sin? Is three beers a sin? Just don't have any and we don't have to have this conversation. Amen. That's the easiest answer for you. Just stay away from it. Amen. Don't try to find the loophole. Don't try to find that line and say, well, you know, if I'm dating somebody and the Bible says that we shouldn't, um, you know, have premarital sex, but how about kissing? How about touching? How about this? How close can I get before I cross the line? Just don't get near the line. Don't get close enough. And you won't have to worry about it. And too often we want to play these games with sin and play these games with the enemy and he's far smarter than you and me. He will lure you in and you'll never think that he's going to get you and before you know it you say, how in the world did I get where I am? Where is God? I can't hear him anymore. And then you start to try worldly means. You start to try to do religious things. Well, everything in my life is falling apart. I can't hear from God. Maybe I'll go volunteer at the soup kitchen. Maybe I'll go and try church. And I'm glad if you come to church. I'm not saying that's wrong. But I'm saying if you're trying to get right by God by doing things, that's not going to work. You're going to get right with God by confessing your sins and repenting and trusting what He has done. And the sad thing is, I'm going to wrap up with this, the last thing is the disgraceful summation of Saul's life. If you flipped over to chapter 31, I just want to read one verse to you in chapter 31. Because God told him, tomorrow at this time, your life will be over. And he just continues right on. He just continues right on. I think if God got, told me that my life was going to end tomorrow, I would try to make some adjustments. I would try to, you know, rethink some things. Not so. He keeps right on going. And into the battle he goes with the Philistines, chapter 31, verse 4. Then Saul said to his armor, he's wounded in battle. Saul says to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell on it. The end. That's how this great man of God's life, or could have been a great man of God, that's how it ends. Shamefully in a battle, Killing himself. Because he continued and he continued to disobey God. And God finally said, enough. You want to do it your way? Have at it. I want to challenge you today. I want you to think about your life. Again, the call is not to live in sinless perfection. For none of us will ever achieve that. But the call is to have a desire to please God. To honor God. He's given you the instructions. He's given you everything you need to know Him and follow Him and serve Him. Not just in His Word, but by His Spirit that lives inside of every believer. I believe that we don't sin so much out of ignorance and not knowing what we ought to do, but we simply sin out of willful disobedience. We sin because we want to. We sin because in the moment it looks better than doing it God's way. And if that's you today... My prayer is before we take the supper, before we do anything else, that you will get things right with God. As a believer, I'm speaking to you. If you're outside of God's will, stop living in that place. Stop walking around miserable when you don't have to. Stop walking around disobedient when you don't have to. And if you're lost today, then I wouldn't expect you to do any different because that's what lost people do. That's what I did. That's what everybody in this room before Jesus did. But once you meet him, things will change. They have to change. Because he says you are born again. 
you've become a new creature. And he lives inside of you. He puts, Daryl read in Sunday school, he puts in us a new heart and a new spirit. And if everything is new, doesn't mean the old won't ever surface. But we can't continue to live like everything's old if all things have become new. So we're going to sing a song of invitation. I'm going to invite those today that are leading the invitation to come. And we're going to take a moment before we get into the Lord's Supper to give you an opportunity. The altar is open. If you want to come, I'll pray with you. If you want to come and pray by yourself, if you want to grab somebody's hand and say, come with me, I need you to pray with me, that's fine. But the main thing is you come. And stop playing games. You say, well, why do I need to come forward publicly? I believe that there comes a time, especially in the body of Christ, where we need to be accountable to one another. Let's not put on false garments and walk around in the darkness of night and cover up what we're doing. The Bible does say confess your sins one to another. You know, sometimes we need to be open and honest about our struggles. Not so you can go out of here and gossip about somebody that came to the altar with a problem. But that because you can surround them with prayer and love and support and encouragement. Because that's what they need and that's what you need. So we're going to give a hymn of invitation. And if you need to come today, for whatever reason, I pray that you will follow the Spirit's leading and that you will do that. Let me pray with you. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the example of Saul, Lord. A tragic end to a man that had so many opportunities. And Lord, I pray that there's not someone in this room that's walking down that same path. But if they are, God, I pray today that you would get a hold of their heart, that you would open their eyes to see that they are treading on dangerous waters, Lord, and that they don't have to stay in that place. And that, God, you would open their eyes to the truth and that you would call them back from their backslidden condition to follow you today, Lord, to serve you today so that they would hear your voice again, that they would feel your power in their life again, and that they would be able to have joy and assurance. And, God, most of all, if someone here today is lost, I pray, Father, that you would open their eyes to see the seriousness of their condition but to let them know that today they can be saved by the finished work of Jesus Christ on their behalf, that there's nothing that they need to do other than surrender their hearts and by faith receive what Christ has done, Lord. So have your way in this invitation. Have your way in our lives, and we'll give you all the thanks and praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen. As we stand and as we sing.